Welcome to another in this series of my new book. This will be reading from chapter 10, which is called Recognizing Your Parts. Now, again, uh, this is not an audio book, so I'm not going to read the whole of the chapter, but I will read just enough to be able to then maybe speak to for a few minutes as part of helping you understand what this book's about and how it might help you. So chapter 10 starts with a quote from the Bible, John 15, 15. Very important scripture where Jesus is saying, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So that's John 15, 15. And really, that quote sets up the whole of the chapter where we're talking now about recognising your parts, changing your relationship with them. So, let's uh, read a short section from chapter 10. In Mark 4, verse 13, Jesus chooses the 12 of his disciples that will become the apostles. He does this after spending the night in prayer. This is a huge decision because it's only possible for you, me and any other person to be a Christian because of these 12 people and what they did. In your recovery, you actually have it a lot easier. Your inner disciples or parts are already built into you by design. But you may struggle at first to recognise them. This is partly because of the medical model and the way we are all influenced by it. Remember, you have been told that you are a single entity, confused and inconsistent, uh, you know, broken and so on, and that you need to change and be cured or fixed. The biblical approach says that you are a multifaceted entity, clear and consistent, and you don't need a cure. Now, depending on what your struggle is, you will recognise various parts here. You may not recognise all of them. For now, just take on board the idea that each of the disciples' attitudes were things that represented the best they had and were designed to help, but were usually naive, radical and immediate. All your parts essentially come from the four categories of flock, fight, flight and freeze. This is the designated and designed role, but they have been recruited by your experiences into unnatural roles. When they start to trust you, they will return to the role they were designed to have. I want you to make your own study of this, but for now, let's take a look at some of the ways the disciples were and how Jesus responded to their behaviour and attitudes. Learning about their issues and the way Jesus taught them and helped them to develop is extremely instructional. I find there are broadly three ways to convince parts to uh, step back uh, and return control to our core self. Uh, they are one, authoritative in the form of a strong but not aggressive command, such as in Matthew 26.52 where Jesus says, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Secondly, there is the affirming, 
which is in, usually in the form of a request couched in an approving message and tone uh, or, or loving tone. So in the form of total appreciation in the request, for instance, in John uh, 1 and verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And the third approach here is loving. In Matthew 16, 17, uh, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there you've got the three approaches which I would generally use, authoritative, affirming and loving. I want you again to encourage you to, to do your own study of the times when this teaching and correcting takes place. But here are a few that I've learned from. Remember, all your parts are derivatives of the main four, flock, fight, flight and freeze. So I'll start with them and then add a few other examples that you may identify with. So we start with flocking. And in Matthew 26 verse 70 I quote, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now that's obviously Peter denying Jesus, and it's a, a very good example of flocking. So flocking is one of the most common of your brain's reactions to threat, and we see examples of it in all uh, kinds of herd animals that confuse predators by mingling together. Since predators hunt by singling out a target, there's always safety, in merging. Uh, there's a, a small title now called the herd mentality. Did you ever find yourself denying something that would make you stand out from the crowd? Did you ever react to the crowd's hostility and do something just to blend in? Peter did it three times in one night. Twice because he had been seen with Jesus and once because of his accent. In his desperation he cursed and swore at the crowd insisting that he did not know Jesus. One of the most common ways of flocking is seen on the school playground. You may remember strong feelings of needing to have the same clothes as the other children. It can feel like a matter of life and death for youngsters to have the right jeans on or the right trainers. This is strongly um, uh, about flocking. Jesus' response was to cook Peter uh, the breakfast and to confirm the love he had for him. That's John 21, 15. Another instructive lesson on how to manage the relationship with our parts, Jesus had already told Peter that he would deny him three times. Fighting. Reacting to threats aggressively is another one of the most common reactions. If you react this way, you may well be hating yourself for the things you have said and done. This reaction of the brain to threat is well known. Did you ever say, I don't know what got into me, or I just saw red and lost control? Well, this is Peter in you. He once attacked a guard and cut off his ear because of anger. That's John 18 verse 10. What was Jesus' reaction? Well, we see it in verse 11. Again, um, where Jesus says to Peter, uh, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Amazing, quote there, the cup of suffering. 
Well, first comes the authority in the form of a command. Put your sword back into its sheath. This example is clearly an authoritative intervention, with Jesus taking the position of master and quickly restoring control of the team. The second half of the statement is affirming, letting Peter know that by taking over at this point, he is getting in the way of what needs to happen. Such an important point. We should not shy away from this authoritative voice when it is needed. In Matthew 16 verse 20, Jesus uses this voice again to all the disciples. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. In Mark 3.17, Jesus names James and John Boanerges, meaning the sons of thunder. Again, this is relating to angry reactions and flying off the handle. We also then look at grandiosity. Did you ever make a grandiose statement about your faith and commitment that you later regretted? Did you sound like Peter, who once rebuked the Lord and said, Oh, this will never happen to you? That's Matthew 16:22. This is another common reaction of your parts to threat. Notice how the reaction of Peter here is naive and leads to Jesus saying, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, which perfectly describes the difference between the adult and the parts, between the spirit and the flesh, between your mind and your brain, or Christ in you. Next we look at greed, and we quote from 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, where Paul writes, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Did you ever act greedily or selfishly? Thinking only of yourself? Of course you have. Did you look like Judas in Mark 14.10, who, along with others, had lied about wanting to give the money to the poor by selling the perfume, when the truth is, he just wanted the money for himself. And seeing that perfume worth a year's wages had been wasted his quote, by anointing the Lord with it, he then went to the Pharisees, offering to betray the Lord for money. Next we look at ambition. Have you ever thought about what you might gain from being a Christian? Does it remind you of James and John? In Mark 10.35, they asked, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at the left hand in your glory. Fighting. Did you ever act out of fear or run away from your responsibility? Fueled by adrenaline, you have been managed by a quite common reaction to threat. Did you look like Peter in Luke 22 verse 57 when he said, Woman, I do not know him. Or was it more like the disciples when Jesus asked them to feed the crowd, saying, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a crowd? That's Mark 8 verse 4. Scripture was followed when the sheep were scattered. That's Matthew 26, 31. And the Lord knew very well that it would be so. You should never expect mature or wise behaviour from your parts. Until they accept you as their Lord and Master, they will act to protect you in any way they can. It is so important that you proceed knowing this, 
so that you will not hate yourself all the part when you disappoint yourself. Flight parts are not always as obvious as they might sound. When Peter said, I'm going fishing, in John 21 verse 3, you may not have recognised this as a flight part, but simply thought that he's returning to what he knows. This past lifestyle is his security, and the rest follow him, but they catch nothing. Flight parts protect you by suggesting things that give you an exit from your situation. Peter didn't know how to stay in the position to which he had been called, so his exit was to return to what he was doing before he was called. Whenever you have a thought suggesting returning to old, addictive or dependent ways, this is a flight part. Next we look at doubt. Did you ever struggle with trusting the word of God? In John 20 verses 24 to 31, Jesus said that he would not believe until, uh, I beg your pardon, let me start that again. Next we look at doubt. Did you ever struggle with trusting the word of God? In John 22, uh, okay, let me start that again. Next we look at doubt. Did you ever struggle with trusting the word of God? In John 20, verses 24 to 31, Thomas said that he would not believe until it was proved to him, contradicting the level of faith that we are asked for. Your doubting part is another variation of a flight part. Notice that Thomas could escape the responsibilities and the pressures on his life as long as he had no proof. Next we look at fear. You may have already realised by now that fear is another flight part. As long as something is frightening, you can avoid the tough choices and actions. Did your parts ever boast about their commitment to the Lord, making a big noise about your courage? Was it like Peter in John 13, 37, when he said, I will lay down my life for you? Like him, did you find yourself unable to follow through with this commitment? Notice that in all these examples, there is no hatred of the behaviour or attitude. There is correction in different forms but it is always respectful of the motivation and the desire to help. Later, I will take you through the exercise where you can begin the work of discipling your inner parts. As you get better at this, you will learn to recognise the distinctive characteristics of the disciples or parts you have. Whether it's a Peter or a John, a Simon or a Matthew, you will learn how to accept your parts appreciate them, and teach them to trust you. Next we look at freezing. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. I'm quoting there from Matthew 14, verse 30. We've all read about the time when Peter walked on water. Having asked Jesus to call him, he actually got out of the boat and found himself doing something miraculous. Then comes that word, but. Did you ever find yourself called out, singled out, no longer in the protection of the group, doing something extraordinary? Or you may not have noticed what the threat was. The triggering may seem to come from nowhere. 
the effect of freezing was there for all to see. He started to sink. He lost the power to do what he was doing. The most typical effect of a freezing part is to stop speaking. Therapists usually refer to this as shutting down. Freezing moments do not always come from miraculous moments. Often, they are a part protecting you from a more obvious threat. As well as feeling unable to speak, freezing parts can prevent you from getting out of bed in the morning, applying for jobs or college, asking for a date. Often, a flight part will protect you in a frozen position by suggesting a return to drink or some other similar unthreatening behaviour. Next we look at shame, and I quote from Mark 10 and verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Shame has something of a special place in this order. We all know how debilitating shame can be, but when you think of it as part of you, it is worth developing your understanding of the way this part is often a polarised part performing a type of balancing out position of other parts. Did you ever become indignant at yourself, or worse, after you have behaved in an unhealthy way? The other disciples did, after they heard a request from James and John to let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory, as we read in Mark 10.37. Well, this will often happen with your parts one or more parts taking an opposing position. Apparently, balancing out, or as the therapists call it, polarising um, the other part. This often shows up as shame or indignation around your initial weakness. It is particularly important that you recognise this indignation as parts behaviour. Do not mistake it for your core self. Your Christ-mindedness would never feel that way. So this example that we're looking at is an example of reacting to parts, which is again quite common. Whenever you have acted in this grandiose way, ask yourself this, how do I feel about this part? If you're feeling ashamed, then you can be sure that this is not your core self, but more likely another polarizing part. Remember always that parts are certain. They believe they know what is right and what is wrong. They also disagree strongly with each other, which is often what polarization is about. Take the time to locate your Christ-mindedness, which is shown by a calm, clear, compassionate state. Speak to each part lovingly from this position. Watch how Jesus creates harmony and restores relationships here by reminding them that they should take any motivation towards being grandiose or lording it over others and translate it to serving everyone. Now this is affirmative teaching. Here we see the wonderful appreciative truth the Lord brings. Did you ever feel ashamed of who you were? Did it remind you of Simon when he said to Jesus, Oh, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. But Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
Jesus is showing us how to work with a shameful part. He's saying from now on, which is to say, think more about what's going to happen rather than what has happened already. Talk to your parts this way. Encourage them by what you are heading towards and how you will all be working together. So there's a lot more to chapter 10 uh, and uh, it, it does go on into instruction, but I think we should stop there and I'll just speak to what is being said here for a few minutes and help you get a handle on where this book is heading. This chapter 10 is the first time when we really start to combine the idea of what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your consciousness and what went on with Jesus and the disciples. This is the first time we really put these things together and say to you that inner discipling is when you look at what Jesus did with these disciples and you take the same attitude towards yourself. And you can only do this by what we talked about already in the book, which is to take the observer position, to understand yourself in a multifaceted way and so on. Hopefully you've heard all of that and you're ready to listen to this because this is where the rubber hits the road when we start talking about what is this practice based on? Well, it's based on the best teaching that human beings have ever had, which is Jesus and his life, his ministry, how he worked with the disciples and why he worked with these same disciples that he called evil to their face. That's Matthew 7, 11. It's maybe a, a difficult hurdle for you to get over, the idea that this works phenomenally well. Why? Because it's absolute truth, that's why. And this method has been left to us, as I often say, uh, hiding in plain sight for 2,000 years. When I explain to you, as this book does, that you can work with yourself in exactly the same way that Jesus worked with the disciples, it opens up a whole new level of understanding, method, practice, and biblical approach uh, that maybe you've ever heard of before. Let's go through the writing. Um, I think one of the main parts to talk about, uh, because I often flip between um, both the Bible and what neuroscience has shown to be correct in the Bible um, and is now evidence-based. And this is one of those occasions because what we're saying is we can, we can itemize the way that parts uh, are recognized, how to recognize the parts in yourself. And I've drawn up these three ideas which generally cover uh, the way parts behave. In other words, that you should look for the naive, the radical, and the immediate in the behavior. As well as saying that they're always certain about something. They've always got an agenda. They seem to know what needs to happen and when, and you know, it needs to happen now. So look for those things in your attitude and your state, and you'll learn to recognize your parts, you know, when your brain has taken over. Uh, more quickly. So authoritative, affirming and loving are the three ways that I'm recognizing uh, Jesus in teaching the disciples, in correcting them and leading them. 
And so again, you can do your own study on this. I've given you scripture around uh, where I see these examples. Again, as the threats and the difficulties come into your life, look for your attitude shifting away from things like compassion and calmness and clarity and confidence and courageousness and towards things like um, complete certainty uh, that something needs to happen now, uh, something like uh, approaches that are naive or uh, radical or immediate. Well, what do we mean by those things? Essentially what we mean is this, that uh, look for naivety, in other words, a level of wisdom that usually, you know, you would be far more wisdom, uh, wise than this. Um, you know, it may be something that appears like a good idea for the next hour or so, but, it, you know, really it's going to be a disaster. Well, that's naive, you know, or thinking that you can just bully someone and shout at them or something. These, these are naive ideas, right? Look for that in your behavior and then start to work with that part. Radical um, means basically it's not a simple solution, but is a, um, a, a, an out-of-proportion solution. I always give this same example. I say, when a child, a very young child, learns that an adult is not to be trusted, then they will generally develop a, an attitude that says, I don't trust any adults. Now, not trusting any adults, because one adult isn't to be trusted, is what we call a radical uh, strategy. And those are the kind of things that we're looking for. Look for radical strategies in your parts. Immediate, I think, speaks for itself. It's when you see an idea flash into your mind or a temptation or a, uh, some kind of motivation or feeling that says, this will be a good idea. But you know very well it's only a good idea in this second. I mean, a classic example is telling a lie, for instance. Uh, a lie might get you out of trouble in that second, but it's a disastrous strategy. Or, you know, taking drugs, getting drunk, you know, having a, an outrageous gamble. Whatever it is that, that you're afflicted by, whatever it is that you find difficult, uh, you will see uh, the immediate in that strategy. And that's how you know it's a part. Your Christ-minded uh, attitude will never work naively uh, in a radical way or in an immediate way. We then talk about, as I say, the authoritative, the affirming and the loving as attitudes that Jesus had towards the disciples. And again, I give you scriptural references here and I want you to understand that uh, these, generally speaking, these three cover uh, Jesus' strategies in, in working with the disciples. And you can use the same strategies working with yours. I then give examples of what you should be looking for as your parts are derivatives of the four parts. So let me say what that is a little bit. Um, essentially, what has been understood as the three main uh, reactions or parts uh, that your brain has, which are, generally speaking, flocking, fighting, flighting, and freezing. We, we, we pretty much heard of those, the, certainly the fighting and flighting, or um, running away, you know. Uh, they're, they're well known. Flocking and freezing are less well known, but uh, flocking is the least serious, freezing is the most serious. And 
uh, they're well known in therapy fields. Now, the point that IFS and that neuroscience has made is that all of your parts that are reacting to trauma in your life are all derivatives from those four. In other words, you will recognize that no matter what they tell you to do or have you thinking or saying, that they will easily be traced back to one of those four. And that will help you understand them. So we give examples here of flocking through the herd mentality. And we also talk about fighting, of course, and give examples of this. Uh, but we also give little sub uh, menus as well, like grandiosity and shame. Uh, greed is another one. Uh, again, look out for these things. Look out for things like ambition, fighting, and things like uh, doubt, for instance. That's another thing to look out for. Um, fear, of course. And I give examples of these to say uh, this is where, uh, this is how to recognize these parts and start to work with them. Now, as we go on in the book, uh, we will uh, offer really good examples of how to work with these parts once you recognize them fully. But let's mention uh, shame a bit, as it does have uh, in it a complication. Um, I think shame is, is a whole subject in itself um, because the part, uh, one of the things the part is certain about in, in a shameful part is that you yourself are what's wrong. Not what you did, not what you said, not the consequences, but who you actually are. So this is one of the most difficult things to deal with. And it brings about an idea, which is quite a therapeutic idea, which is called polarizing. And let me explain it first as a therapist, and then we'll go on to talk about how it works out in the discipling. As a therapist, we understand polarizing parts as a form of unhealthy balancing. Uh, it's often easiest to just give you an example of this. Let's say um, I would always go to alcohol because that's uh, the most obvious example. If, if, you, if you've ever got horribly drunk and, and said some things you shouldn't have done or done some things you shouldn't have done and you wake up the next morning and you feel horrifically ashamed of yourself, that is a part of you that is polarised to the drinking part. So you can see how those two parts balance themselves out. The drinking part has you behaving that way and the shameful part has you attacking yourself for doing so, therefore rebalancing you. And it also, of course, keeps you in secrecy and denial um, as well and deceitfulness because you'll try and hide that if you can, particularly if you're ashamed. So that is basically the, the therapist's take on it. And what we would do is we would help someone to understand how those two parts, you can work with them both. As far as the disciples go, what we would say is to remind you that the disciples did not like each other. This is quite difficult, I think, an idea for some people, but it's very obvious in Scripture that this is true. Uh, the best example, of course, uh, the strongest example would definitely be Levi, who became Matthew, uh, he was a tax collector, and I assure you the other disciples would have hated him. They would have been totally confused by the idea that Jesus would include him. And 
it would have been a very difficult uh, relationship between him and the rest of the disciples. Remember that there were activists in the uh, disciples, people who walked around with swords and just wanted to kill the Romans. So imagine how they felt about a brother Jew who was working with the Romans. There are other examples about indignancy and so on, um, but basically uh, they disagree strongly with each other, and that's a form of polarization. So remember that whenever you um, start to identify these parts, and we're getting to that stage now where you're starting to recognize yourself in a triggered state, uh, and, and in biblically this would be a, a, part, a portion of scripture where the disciples start to take over, you know, they're not following the Lord's teaching, they're saying, oh, I know best, we'll do this, we'll do that. Well, that's what you're starting to recognize in yourself. And so as you do that, the next step is to learn and to give names to those parts of you that you might start to call Peter or Matthew or John or James. You might start to recognize them and give them names. And that way you start to really identify with the idea of inner discipling. Okay, well that's all for now. Next time we're going to look at uh, chapter 11 and uh, take us on further into the book. So thank you once again for taking the time to listen to this. I do hope that you got a lot out of this. I will put a link in the description for my YouTube channel so that you can um, also take the time if you want to to look at the different series on that channel. Be blessed. Bye for now.